0: Welcome to Subderb's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Aquaman. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Ooh, we like to talk about
1: games, but we also like to talk about movies. And in the grand tradition of talking about these DC Extended Universe movies, the most recent one has come out. It's Aquaman directed by James Wan starring Jason Momoa, Amber Heard and Patrick Wilson. <sighs>
0: <laughs> I All right, can't let's let's, I, let's do this. I get
1: to record this episode, Bango. <laughs> let's
0: let's let's do this uh let's, let's do our pre-spoiler reviews. Okay. <laughs> uh
1: I Aquaman is a great movie. It's so it's okay, it's not a great movie. It's a very good movie. It's got all the regular problems that, like, a popcorn blockbuster movie has, you know, in the same way that, like, Ant Man and the Wasp has, you know, minor problems, but is ultimately a very enjoyable experience. I think Aquaman is right along those lines. It has some minor issues here and there, but at the end of the day, it's a roller coaster ride. And you can really tell that this is a movie with like a lot of like love and passion behind it. The thing that I said to Rachel when we came out of the movie was um, I said two things. The first was that was like six movies in one. And the second was I was exhausted. Because when I say roller coaster, I mean literally like it was I was um, I don't know. I was just being carried over these peaks and valleys and my emotions were soaring. And it is the biggest movie of 2018, which is very strange to say in a, in a year with Avengers Infinity War, but I don't know. There's just something about like the skies and the scale and the scope um, of this movie that I thought was awesome and that I thought was great and that I thought was a uh, fantastic inheritor to all of the things that... You know, fans of, I think, the the DC Extended Universe enjoy, but also just, like, fans of what modern comic book movies look like these days. Um, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, so, uh, it's funny you should mention roller coasters, because uh, uh, I also felt this movie was roller coaster-ish, but that was mostly because I was sitting in a D-box, which was literally, like, riding a roller coaster through the movie. I'll share my thoughts on that later, because it's not directly uh, relevant to the contents of the film. Um, but... Uh, I thought the movie was uh, incredibly mediocre. Um, it's interesting that you use the comparison of Ant-Man and the Wasp because that's actually a comparison I was going to make too. Um, I personally like Ant-Man and the Wasp because I really like Paul Rudd, um, and I had problems with that movie uh, if you remember. But I, I think that it's like uh, I think I think it's very comparable there. Um, I think it is it is boring. I thought the dialogue was bad. I thought the plot was like enti- Entirely too predictable in a way that, like, I, I can't tell if it's maybe I've just seen too many of these, but like everything felt so rote to me. Um, uh, and uh, what what else did I want to say about it? Uh, in terms of scale, I definitely I don't know if I'd say it's bigger than Infinity War, but I definitely understand that feeling. I uh, we can go into some detail in that later, but I definitely understand what you're getting at, and and I I will give you that it is at least a very uh, large feeling movie. Um, uh. I personally think it's the of all the superhero movies to come out this year. I think it is the one that I would go rewatch last. Wow, um, really? Yeah, and I don't. And you know, to be fair, this year has been pretty good for superhero movies. Um, and kind of like on an entertainment scale, like not on like a like a you know like a craft scale or anything. I think it's probably the worst one. For me, I think you could make a case for it being better than Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, but Wait, like, it, I mean, it's obviously better than Venom on a quality scale. I understand, yeah, yeah. like, Venom is more entertaining. Yeah. Venom has, okay. as like, has like a boomerang effect, right? Like, it has, it, it has like the room value. Yeah. Yeah. To it, it. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, tens are entertaining, ones are entertaining, fives are, are, are dog shit. And I don't think this is quite a five. Um, but uh, it's 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 definitely a less good than the other things I've seen this year. That being said, if you're into superhero movies, if you're into Aquaman, um, I would say it's it's worth seeing. Um, and uh, I think honestly, maybe it's worth a watch just for kind of like uh, the uh, the the scenes. Um, like the like I thought some of the effects weren't great, but I thought that like the the seascapes were fantastical and actually evoked a lot of like like lucasian like like uh star wars escapes,
1: right like i know I, yeah i definitely think that that stuff is really in the d i mean not just not just star wars but i also think obviously raiders of the lost ark it has like a little bit of like indiana jones not even a little bit right like the plot just kind of becomes indiana jones for like 45 minutes in the middle, you know, Uh, Uh, which is part of what I like about, you know, in a way, I guess I agree that it's a very rote movie, but I think that it's broad and it's archetypal in a way that I feel like we've, in a way, gotten away from in, like, the culture, right? And it reminds me a bit of, like, Titanic, I guess I would say, which is just, like, a big melodrama where everything is being played to the nines and I like that and I like that stuff right like that's like big Shakespearean Greek tragedy kind of acting um, that is more um, I don't know it's operatic which is what I always feel like the DNA of comic book movies yeah. is I mean and, and you so, know like
0: it's its like a space opera that takes place under sea <laughs> um, yeah yeah no yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but like, like, like Atlantis is like it reminded me of like simultaneously like Coruscant and Wakanda, so I, like it, it was, it was, it was, it was like the like I said, the, the visuals alone I think were uh, were were worth it just to, to see at least once. They did some really excellent work there. Um, I think that's about all I've got for the pre spoiler stuff. Um, so uh, unless you wanted to anything, buddy, this is your official. I, I guess I also just oh. want
1: to mention. Uh, I think. The acting is pretty good. Jason Momoa is I don't think he has a lot of range, but he plays this thing well, I guess. Um Amber Heard is coming to play and uh and Patrick Wilson is kind of like coming to play. And they all and the best part is they all understand what movie they're in in, in which is typically used as kind of a pejorative, but I do mean that in that sense of kind of like high drama, you know. Like, this is the kind of thing that makes me love um, Michael Shannon in Man of Steel, right? Where General Zod is, like, screaming these, like... He's saying these lines, and they're so dramatic. And he's chewing the shit out of, like, the scenery. That's the stuff that I, like, live for.
0: Yeah, I, I felt that a lot and out so, of uh, Willem Dafoe's character.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Willem Dafoe's character, absolutely. But, like, I, you know, like, when, when like... I don't know. There's there's plenty of stuff in the trailers that shows this Black Manta, obviously. Um, but uh, you know, the, any any of those lines where it's just like, okay, this is when like the supervillain says like the supervillain-y thing really hard, and like mm, he's like he's mad, and you know, or whatever. Any of those kinds of lines, any of that kind of stuff, I thought. Was really great. It was. It was really awesome. I like that it is a different kind of movie, and this is exactly what I w- always want to see. Um, yeah. I feel like uh, from like this is the kind of variety, right? Like when we talked about Black Panther, what ten months ago, I talked about my fears that Black Panther was just going to be a better Aquaman, um, and even if I think Black Panther is a better movie, which is true, Black Panther is a better movie. Um, I like that Aquaman is not just Black Panther, but in reverse, it is wholly its own being even if they do share a plot structure
0: yeah um what would i what, what would i say kind of, kind of on, on that uh on that tone point i feel like it, in a lot of ways it feels a lot like a stage play um like again like in terms of like this operatic quality that you're talking about like over emoting um that i don't really i personally don't like in a movie but uh, i'm not gonna hold it so much yeah it. <laughs> that
1: is that stuff is right up my alley so yeah. i get that anyway um so i guess spoilers yeah uh, spoilers
0: if you haven't seen it go see it i don't know if spoilers are actually the end of the world for this movie Like i, I would said, say spoilers
1: are not the end of the world yeah. it is not this, so i mean so i've talked to in the past about kind of like the different pieces of a movie that or or just any story that are like powerful right and like how a story can have like you know, a complex theme or complex characters to make up for kind of like a weak plot or like weak set set design. And Aquaman is kind of the opposite of that. It has like a fairly straightforward plot that is very predictable, but like on a world-building scale. And I also think that the character arcs are very strong in this movie. You know, like these are the, the, the selling points, right? There is a big, strong, central character arc that I feel like we haven't seen in kind of any of these superhero origin movies in a while um and a lot of these supporting characters are also getting kind of supporting character arcs there's small subversions along the way um but they're really not uh they're 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 really not anything kind of like big and this is not a movie that you go into to get a good like (gasps) plot twist moment you know
0: yeah i i absolutely agree um so you know, this is this is the end of your your spoiler warning. We're going to jump into it because I think I actually want to address that. I actually wasn't a super big fan of um of of Aquaman's himself's character arc. Oh, um, really? Um I just kind of felt like like I felt like the point about him being like a blunt tool was like like w- which is obviously his arc, right? He goes from being like a like like a warrior to like a king, right? Like um and I got that but I felt like him being the blunt instrument was not demonstrated sufficiently to us he he told it to us outright um and I, like I I feel like that like I feel like that happened a lot in this movie right like this is why I don't like the dialogue in the movie I feel like they told us a lot of things um and didn't have appropriate amounts of kind of like I'm I'm sorry. That's crazy to me. You don't think that
1: Aquaman trying to completely bypass the plot and challenging Orm to like the Ring of Fire or whatever—that is absolutely the plot's version of him being overconfident and too proud, right?
0: No, I I I get that, but I didn't. I thought that that moment wasn't earned either. Like I felt like that was just like it felt like that was just there because they couldn't. You can't resolve the plot that simply. Like that that has like that felt like it was there like. I, the impression of Aquaman, Aquaman I had going into that scene wasn't that that was who Aquaman was. Wow, that's really
1: interesting. I absolutely had that impression that that's who Aquaman was, right? Like, I yeah, I like he he walks into that scene and he takes the challenge or whatever, and then he is scolded then by both Volko and Mira sure. for taking this challenge because they know that he can't, you know, like that he can't do it or whatever. Um, but he's not taking the, the situation seriously, and he's overconfident, and he thinks that he can just solve this problem by punching it a lot, right? So,
0: if, if it had played more into the, he's not taking this problem, like, essentially the, the, the core thing that I thought they were trying to resolve in with Aquaman, like, the thing that was telegraphed was his reluctance to take responsibility, Right, like... Right, no, uh,
1: that is definitely a piece of it, yeah. Yeah,
0: but, like, it, it felt like that didn't have the kind of, like, blunt instrument aspect built into it, um, like, initially, right? Like, like you, I feel like you want to set that up with, like, uh, like. I don't know, like, uh, like an opportunity, like, you, you want that... How do I want to put this? Usually you show it working before it fails, um, and I don't, like, I feel like he did show that. That's the submarine scene. So the, that's the thing is that the submarine scene didn't have a different option that he ignored, right? Like that's like kind of the only route that he had. Wait, what? Like he, this is insane to me. He lets Black Manta's dad die. Yeah, but that's that's him not taking responsibility. But that's that's not the the issue I have. It's 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 the uh, the 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 force issue, right? Like he doesn't have the opportunity to talk Black Manta down. Right, like Black Manta attacks him I- I immediately, and it's like that. That entire confrontation is forced. right? Like okay. he, he doesn't he doesn't have the opportunity to take a a a a, a diplomatic resolution or like a a non force based resolution. That's just like the resolution that has to occur. Um, like ideal, ideally, you kind of like I, I think ideally you, you you set it up so that he chooses the force based option and it works out the first time, um, and that establishes the way he is. No, but
1: yeah, but okay. God, that's a really weird point to me. Because, like, so, part of this is that his character arc culminates at the end of Act 2 with the Kraken, right? The Kraken is obviously fundamentally stronger than he is and beats him up or whatever and is calling him unworthy. And it is when he truly humbles himself before the Kraken and he says, I am undeserving of this,
0: like, of this crown. That is when he is
1: most deserving of it, right?
0: See, but so his pro- the, the problem I have with that is his problem was never his humility. Right? He has his moment of humility. Nobody but- wants his humility because he was prideful. I don't was he ever like
1: Yeah, that that was that that's the core piece of his relationship with Orm in the Ring of Fire is that he is sure that he's just going to be able to beat up Orm and stop this this whole thing in its tracks.
0: So I don't know if I if I bought that was like a, a pride thing so much as like he didn't he doesn't solve things any other way right like he like he's he's that's also not his, his moment of humility his moment of humility is when he says I'm just a blunt weapon I'm not qualified to be a king that's like his that's like like he's always been kind of like I am not I, I am not the right person to be the king like he, he's, right, yeah I mean
1: so right. But it's the moment where he accepts that that piece of himself is what makes him most deserving to lead, right? Do you see what I'm saying? I Like, I understand what you're saying. On that moment on the boat with Mira is like a step in that direction. And she tells him something that he doesn't think about himself, right? Because he is having doubts about all of this stuff, and he just wants to go back to the surface world and try and let them prepare for like for Orm's attack because he does. He has. He doesn't think that he can. He doesn't think that he can accomplish it, right? Right. And she says that your, your that like that doubt, that piece of yourself is like the key piece of it. And he accepts that when he goes to the Kraken. That is the moment where he accepts that about himself because he goes and he pulls out King Atlan's trident and he becomes, you know the man who will eventually be king of Atlantis at the at the end of Act 3. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So... I, th- I, fe- I really felt like his character arc was super strong in this movie, right? Even just, like, other... small Like, there are some, some small other things. Like, I really like the interplay between his arc and Mira's arc. And I like that she gets her own kind of in parallel, right? Like, at the beginning, she, she is... He is just, like, a means to an end for her, right? She's just using him. But he successfully changes her mind about like the surface world and it is kind of like unlocking that friendship when they go to italy or whatever um that allows her to help him get over his his bullshit
0: which i think like i like that i like that interplay see a i lot. so 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 maybe maybe i'll 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 see that like i'm just confusing it not happening with it being so rote that, like, I, I was just kind of flipping about it. But, like, I felt that, like, Mira, like, Mira's arc was also not great. She's just, like, like, it's like, I hate the surface. And then she goes, to like, I love the surface, right? Like, it didn't feel like there was, like, there was a lot of build there, right? Like, it felt like it was, like, very much like, and then she did the thing that made her, like, the surface, and it's just like the Little Mermaid, and everybody's happy. um, <laughs> And, like, Like like I said, I'll I'll concede that maybe this is me confusing it not being there with with me being just kind of aggravated with how rote it felt. Um. Yeah. No, I mean,
1: I I agree with that. I definitely think that this is – these are – in a certain sense, they're not even characters. They are archetypes, right? Um, But I think that, you know, especially for Aquaman where the archetype is, you know, it's not even like – 20 years old this is hundreds of years old this is the right. king arthur story obviously yes um so I, I don't know there's something about that that just kind of like feels very appropriate um i do think that there are pieces in here that muddy the waters a bit like so for instance and this is actually a change i don't like because i really like it in the comics in the comics arthur just kills black manta's dad in cold blood it's a little more kind of like it's it's contrived in a different sort of sense and i don't mean that in a bad way but um they just have like a completely different relationship but arthur blames aqua or arthur blames black manta for his father's death obviously his dad is not dead in this movie and goes and he kills black manta's dad in straight revenge which i think is a and and then he kind of has to like live with these you know with like the kind of regret of i created my own arch nemesis who has been you know hounding me for years and years um and i and there is a big part of me that wishes that that was just kind of how they played it in the submarine scene i See, thought that it was a little I, bit I th- like
0: i so i knew that and maybe i think i would have bought arthur as like a blunt tool better if he had actually actively killed
1: I know I was really excited for it because when he ripped the pipe out and he threw it, I was like, "Yes, this is the moment." But then they go through this whole thing with the torpedo, and I get and I get it because it makes him it softens it, right? Yeah. Uh, But I also think that it kind of removes the edge that makes it powerful, and and it also would have worked better in the in the service of this character arc because then I think this is true of the submarine story in a sense where. Arthur is reacting out of a certain sort of like insecurity. Like, the whole front part of the submarine is just, I'm so cool. I'm such a badass. Let me beat the shit out let, of these guys. And let, then, let me like, tell just, you,
0: fucking permission to come aboard was the cheesiest motherfucking thing. Like, I, 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 I mean, okay, <laughs> you
1: know, I'll, we'll, we'll address the dialogue thing in a second because I, have okay, to talk yeah, about sorry. That. I, but I, like, but the culmination of that scene is that Arthur then gets shot with the grenade, and it hurts, right? And he really takes a hit. And so the version of that where he's like, I'm so cool and indestructible, look at me, I beat Steppenwolf or whatever. And then this, like, random guy shoots him with a grenade, and he reacts out of anger and impales the guy against a wall, completely, you know... Without empathy for him because he, you know, because he like sees that weakness in himself and he hates it or whatever. I think that would have been a lot sort of stronger, but it also would have been a little bit less sympathetic, and it would have been maybe harder to like go from Arthur like murdering someone in cold blood to like taking selfies with a biker's pink phone in the bar or your, you know, like whatever it is, right? Yeah, no, I, Um, I,
0: I think it also, I think it could have worked if like instead of the 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 torpedo falling on him, if that like thing sticking him to the wall was the reason that he he died, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like that would have maybe struck the balance a little bit better, um, like like not directly, right? Like that, like he would have like that he was drowning because of, uh, uh like that he, he drowned in the same way because of it. I think would have struck the balance a little bit better because it felt it would feel less accidental, right? Like,
1: yeah, I actually think the, the a lot of the flaws of this movie are in the beginning. I think the first act is pretty bad. Um, and then it picks up once they uh, – once basically once Arthur and Mira hook up and go to um, Atlantis, then I think it gets basically fine. Uh, but, like, yeah, like, all of the dialogue in the beginning, I very much agree with you, is, like, super cringy. Like, God, the thing that Nicole Kidman says when she's, like, about to go, she's like, in the sea, we don't have – or, like, the sea washes away our tears. tears. And then he's like – up here we feel like, <laughs> yeah,
0: <I'm never>
1: <laughs> like, like <laughs> oh my god i you know like i love melodrama i love melodrama you guys but boy right like that was tough to get through um, and very and in the same way i think permission to come aboard was like yeah that was like pretty cheesy like <laughs>
0: there, there, there were a bunch of lines like that there was like was, like there was uh fucking black manta's dad like just Explaining this like the story, like in the span of three seconds about the knife, it's like yeah. it's just like here is the plot, here here is your motivation. <laughs> I'm handing it to you, um, and like uh, and uh, and fucking Mira, exp- like when she first walks out of the ocean and is like, you must come to Atlantis because your brother Orm has taken the throne. It just it, it just felt very like it felt very very blunt and bad and I, I think that like I think the actual worst the worst one was Willem Dafoe during his fight with Orm uh, during Aquaman's fight with Orm um, you know I told Atlanta I'd protect him this is not a fight this is an execution which is immediately followed up by like a move that Aquaman like like a, a, a an exchange that Aquaman wins right this is Aquaman throwing Orm to the point where he almost hits the lava right like he, he says this thing at the point in the fight where like it appears that Aquaman might actually win, like it just it's it's, it's no 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 but no so okay, the
1: Aquaman gets out of that at the last second. He's no. being driven down to the lava by Orm, who is
0: using no no the that was Orm dominance. that went got sh- 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 thrown down to the lava. No no
1: no right but no I mean no right before that happens, Aquaman flips it on Orm. Right, but like the, the- when he is when he is being driven down into the lava though, and Willem Dafoe says that thing. Orm is the one in control, and then Aquaman takes control and throws Orm into the lava, and then Orm whips the lava at Aquaman. Uh, I,
0: I, I thought that I think part of this is that I thought that scene was not the easiest to follow because uh, I was I was a little bit confused about what was happening there. Mm. Um, but which
1: of the two guys was doing what?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that like you know regard like uh, regardless of like you know I think it's a less strong point now, but like I think that. That was not the like this, this was not a one sided fight that 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 uh, Aquaman was losing right like this, was, yeah, this yeah. was this was like an even exchange until he shatters uh, Atlantis trident, um, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah
1: yeah that's actually interesting. Um, I I love the action in this movie. I think this is probably one of the best uh, superhero action movies um, like this in Infinity War. I have to, I have to rewatch Infinity War to kind of like think about it. Um, but uh, but it actually takes a lot of cues from Man of Steel, which I like a lot. It kind of has this, like, impact, you know, action filmmaking that I've talked about before. And it has the same sort of thing that Man of Steel does, where Orm has a cape and, um, and Aquaman doesn't. Which is also useful in Man of Steel because Superman has a cape and Zod doesn't. So you can track them at very long ranges. Um, but uh, but you know yeah I feel that to a certain extent with the, uh, with like the legibility of things I really appreciated a lot of this stuff because um, like it, it has the kind of DBZ thing this is this is the appeal I think of like this kind of impact action filmmaking where a lot of emphasis is put on sort of like the destructive power power of these guys um and like anytime aquaman gets like slammed into rocks and like the rocks crumble um like those kinds of things i don't know what it is but like the destructibility of the environment just makes it feel that much more kind of explosive and powerful um which i which i like a whole lot i think the the uh italy scene is better for this um and also the um uh well, to be honest, kind of all of the fights sort of like have this, but uh the Italy scene is very much like the best when it comes to action that that is clearly I think the the pinnacle of the action filmmaking in this movie
0: yeah no i i I, th- I actually really like the um the undersea battle like the, the the fight with the brine kingdom um oh yeah, at the very end dude. Yeah.
1: this is part this is another part of what I, I I think if there is anything that Aquaman does truly like stellar above and beyond. I think the kind of mythos – it's probably the first movie I've seen since any, like, of these Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, um, which I would include The Hobbit, even though The Hobbit is a bad set of movies or whatever, that, like, there's just so much you want to know or whatever. Like, just the idea of, like, this army of crabmen who have these giant crab siege engines that are whipping – lava, like like these lava catapults and they're hitting like, you know, troop carriers that look like sea turtles just like all of that stuff i thought was so evocative right if i was like a 10 year old i would be doing that thing that i did in star wars though no is it's, like it's almost star exactly of-
0: a star wars fight right like it's yeah, yeah it's yeah. the big armies fighting and then there's the two jedi that like fight in like an epic spear battle on top no, of no and that's
1: exactly what it is in the same way that like in star wars in like rev- in return of the jedi right when you see a wings and b wings and you're just like wow what cool you know like these are so cool and you want to go home with your a wings and b wings or whatever and like make your own star wars battles that's exactly how i felt about like the brine kingdom and the fisherman kingdom and stuff like that i thought that stuff was awesome
0: no absolutely right like and we don't get a lot about them but like i remember thinking the movie is like you know like you know like if my favorite kingdom would be the brine kingdom i would definitely (laughs) Like, because yeah. like they're like such different aesthetics, right? And there's definitely like a piece mm. that you can identify with with each of them, right? It's kind of like a almost like a Harry Potter house. Obviously, they're less fleshed out, but um, but like you you know like all that variety is just like super neat. And like you know, there's there's like that hint at like a larger world that you want to like dive into that you don't get. With, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you don't get that with most other superhero movies because most of them don't take place and don't have this like other other worldly feel to it right like you get this a little bit with Wakanda um but most movies are like set in our world with like the superhero being the difference whereas like this this thing the, the whole the whole kind of concept is is is, is foreign which I you know it, 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 it does that very well I, I will agree it was it was super super fun that way I I really actually enjoyed going through all of the kingdoms um I wasn't sure we were going to get to see all of them um is, is that a thing from the comics uh,
1: that is kind of a thing from the comics. There are seven different kingdoms, um, and, like, Atlantis sort of, like, unites them or whatever, but they are not so, uh, like, the Fisherman Kingdoms being little, literal mermaids, and the Brine Kingdom, these are inventions of, uh, like, in the comics, all the Atlanteans are just Atlanteans of different kind of, like, stripes or varieties. Like, the Trench exists, but, like, the Trench is, is something that is entirely kind of outside of, uh, like, it... Atlantis or like Atlanteans. Whereas like the narrative of the movie portrays the trench as one of the kingdom of uh, kingdoms of Atlantis that like biologically devolved into these like ravenous murderous, you know, fish dudes.
0: Yeah. Um, I thought that was a, a clear call to, to the fucking, uh, the, the army of the dead from, from Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually expecting him to like use his fish talking powers earlier with them. Um, I, I was actually sad that it didn't get like a, a fuller moment where it's the tre- the trench is.
1: So a lot of this pulls from the Jeff Johns twenty eleven, um, co- which makes sense. Obviously, Jeff Johns is like a big producer in these DC movies. Um, twenty eleven uh, Aquaman run, and the trench is the first story in that run. And I'm actually a little bit sad that they didn't do kind of like a more. It's tough. They do so much stuff in this movie. This is like. God, like, so many things in this (laughs) come from so many different places, right? Like, King Atlan and, like, the Trident and all this other sort of stuff. But, like, the cool thing about the Trench is that they are just insanely ravenous animals, essentially. And Aquaman has to drive them to extinction by sealing the Trench itself with a volcanic eruption um, in order to kind of, like, stop them. But, like even though that is the win this is this is like the truth behind aquaman this is what makes aquaman aquaman like he is the he is the kind of person that like takes responsibility for the tough decisions and it always sucks right and so when people talk to him about the trench they go wow it's so cool that you were able to like stop these ravenous monsters but he just sees himself as someone that drove a species of life to extinction and how that sucks and it makes him feel bad you know what i mean and like those hard decisions, those tough decisions, and those bittersweet decisions are the things that kind of like make him him in a way. And mm, I w- I wish there was more of that in this movie, um, which there kind of couldn't be because he wasn't really king yet, and this yeah. w- is a movie about him assuming that responsibility in the first place. Um, so, so, and part of this is about his relationship with Orm and stuff like that. But yeah,
0: so so kind of along those lines. Um, uh, as an avid aquaman fan does this how do you feel about this movie's relationship to the aquaman lore at large like what one both what is both your opinion what what do you think you know, the popular opinion will be because you know i have like you obviously thought that um man of steel and bvs were a an interesting take on 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 superman but a lot of people yeah, felt like it was it like a betrayal much, of the yeah. character
1: I would say this is very much in line with what we get. Like, this is a true Aquaman story in the same sense that BVS, I would say, is a true Superman story, right? This isn't, like, which is, Superman has a lot more mythos to him than aquaman does but the reason i think bbs is a true superman story is that kind of doubt about superman's sort of place and omniscience and godhood is something that comes up in the comics all the time in the comics that i like about superman all the time and in the same sense this is like a very true aquaman story which is like true to the character but it does like discard some things that i like about like so for instance one of the things I really love about Orm in the Aquaman comics is that he is not lawful evil and he is not power hungry. He is kind of definitionally lawful neutral, right? Um, in the comics, Orm is so dedicated to Atlantean law that when he finds out Arthur exists, when right, he finds out he has a old, there's an older brother who has the birthright to the throne, he sends Atlanteans to go get Aquaman and bring him to Rule He is king of Atlantis, right? And he says, I am not the rightful king. My brother is the rightful king. Even though he's been on the surface world, our laws say the firstborn child is like the rightful king of Atlantis sort of thing. And he goes and he gets Aquaman and Aquaman comes and becomes king of Atlantis for five years. Um, which I think is... Which is very, like, it is the kind of subversion that I like. This is not just a power-hungry, you know, fascist, essentially, or authoritarian, right? This is somebody whose prime allegiance is to the laws of Atlantis, right? And even in the Throne of Atlantis storyline, which is about Orm leading an attack on the surface, um, the same sort of thing happens where, like, a, a surface world attack happens and Orm responds by sending a huge tidal wave and then invading the surface world. But the thing is, is that Orm is essentially a patsy. Uh, I won't spoil that storyline for anybody, but there is a third party who triggers the attack from the surface world, and he knows that there are Atlantean war plans that say, if the surface world ever attack us, this is how we will respond. These war plans, by the way, were written by Arthur when he was king of Atlantis, and Orm is just executing on them, right? And so when he comes to the surface world, all he is doing is being a like an executor of the lay of the of the lay of the land that he has or the lay of the sea in this case right like he is just executing the law as he sees fit right um and the and the culmination of that is arthur reexerts his kingship right and uh and ocean and and orm um And Orm yields the kingship and Arthur takes it back. But then the betrayal that turns kind of Orm into the vengeful ocean master is that Arthur then says, okay, you are also someone who sent a tidal wave to Boston and killed thousands of people and I'm giving you to the surface world in payment for your crimes and that betrayal right is the thing that kind of like creates ocean master for for aquaman for the first time and that's a really tough thing to do to execute on because there's a lot of subversion there yeah right it is we expect you know someone like orm in this movie to be to you know use a false flag yeah no i I, I was gonna say
0: i was i was hoping like i like i saw it and for a second i was like oh that's neat this isn't just like you know like Orm's shitty and like you know takes power. It's like mm-hmm. no, like but then like I mean like oh he's gonna have done this himself. And yeah. I I had really wished that it had been something like that, that where yeah um no me too. And I think that there's a hint of it at the
1: end, obviously when Agamemnon yeah. says let's talk, yeah. um and when Orm you know hugs his mom right. Like I think that that is the that is kind of one of these moments of like not redemption but like an indication that Orm is softer and not as definitionally evil as right. uh, as he as he appears to be. Um, right. He, he, in a lot of he's ways... He's very Loki-like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, like, part of this... The, the other the other half of the Throne of Atlantis, which is a Justice League storyline, is that the Justice League is on the other half of... It's, it's not Orm versus Aquaman. It's Aquaman in between Orm and the Justice League. Because, like, Batman and Superman are like, this guy is clearly a fucking supervillain. We need to treat him like a supervillain and beat him up and throw him in prison and and arthur is like no it's not that simple right all orm is doing is executing on the war plans i wrote when i was king of atlantis kind of thing like it's more nuanced and difficult sort of thing and aquaman eventually just has to bow to the will of the justice league that's the reason that he turns uh that he turns orm over because you know he's a member of the justice league and he gets kind of outvoted um and i think that like that sort of bittersweetness this is the stuff i always love about aquaman right like it is always that kind of like um you know taking responsibility for like the tough hard decisions and and this is what i'm hoping that if they do an aquaman 2 um when they do an aquaman 2 because it just made a gazillion dollars in china uh before even opening in the u.s uh that's the stuff that they focus on um if that makes sense
0: yeah is is ocean master is it is it also a title in the comic books because like i was like that's stupid but that's probably just a super villain name um, uh,
1: that was another piece that I kind of wish that was a little in the comics. Orm is a sorcerer, um, which Atlantis is the center of magic in on like on Earth, um, and so it's always kind of portrayed like where the modern surface world embraces technology, Atlantis embraced magic. Yeah. Um, And so Orm is an incredibly powerful sorcerer, which is kind of, like, the source of his powers. Um, And he has a crown that allows him to control water, and his trident allows him to control storms. Um, And so, like, he shoots, like, lightning and shit like that. Um, And I was kind of hoping that they were going to do something with that. It didn't seem like it, but I was, like, maybe on an off chance, because, like, it seemed as though... I don't know. I mean, they were very clearly like, once he has the, the allegiance of the Four Kingdoms, the power is the army. But I was sort of hoping that that was going to be the twist in the third act, right? Like, he they fight the Brian Kingdom, and then the Kraken shows up, and Aquaman is too late. The Brian King swears his allegiance, and Orm gets these superpowers. And now, Aquaman with the Trident of Atlan versus Orm with his now Ocean Master abilities. That's, like, the big escalation in the same way that, like, you know... Uh, Doomsday is the big escalation in the third act of Batman vs. Superman, or Superman versus Zod is the big escalation in Man of Steel.
0: Okay, so, so sorry, just to be clear, uh, it, Ocean Master is, is then, like, a title that he inherits in the comics, or... Uh, no,
1: he just yeah. calls himself that. Okay, uh, yeah, cause, it,
0: like, yeah. I, I was gonna say, like, it sounded really stupid as, like, the person, like, you know, the title... But I figured it was just a, a, side, a sideways way yeah. to get his... his... That,
1: that's the name of him as a supervillain. Ocean Master and Black Manta are, like, the two big, real yeah. Aquaman supervillains. They're real... There are a couple of others, but, like, not not to the same sort of, like, level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they were just using... They were just kind of, like, using the name. I really did like the design. That is one of the most, like, true-to-comics designs I think I've seen. Um, for
0: who? Black Manta? Uh,
1: For... Well, honestly, kind of for everyone. Okay. Like yeah. maybe since like Doctor Strange, um, just because like the the fish scale like the orange and green the yeah, golden I, green honestly um, like,
0: I I thought that was kind of silly, <laughs> like really well him like him stepping out with like like the weird like like the, the classic costume just like felt off like, I can't quite put my finger on why but like it was like like this doesn't feel like this Aquaman this 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 feels like uh, yeah uh, it, but you know that's that's just you know personal stuff like yeah i I mean go on sorry i i
1: i think part of it um uh i i don't know it sold it it sold it for me but it only sold it when it when it got into close-up um there was one part where they got into close-up and they could really show you the scale mail of it which is like the point this is atlantean armor and i think that it looks you know like the super friends version of it looks very dumb because it doesn't have um I don't know. There's no texture to it, so it just kind of looks like somebody drew fish scale on a t-shirt or right, something, right, right, right. or on like tights. Um, but like, that's not what this is, which is good. Um, yeah, no, like, I, I think I buy it that. should look kind of more like armor, like that. And so, yeah, and then and then obviously Orm having that same sort of like fish scale, but in like purple, and then having the fucking helmet with like the little fin crown or whatever. And then the 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 PST Resistance is the fin crown allowing Orm to emote. The moment where Orm like looks at Arthur or whoever he looks at and he like scowls in the metal crown is the best thing because that's part of the, that's something that you miss out in the comics um, in a lot of ways. It's the same thing with like the the emotive Spider Man eyes. Um, when it is a real practical mask that is just like rubber and doesn't move or whatever, you miss out on the ability to have. Um, to have that kind of emotiveness to it, I guess, and so the fact that they added this in clearly with like CGI, I was just like, this is the best use of visual effects ever, mm-hmm. like, just to just to let Ocean Master scowl as he's like screaming about bringing the wrath of the Seven Seas with him.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um,
1: I I will say that one of the big subversions that I like a lot of in this movie is that. Arthur's parents get back together this feels like a uh a cool superhero subversion because typically a parent is dead or both parents are dead um and so the the resolution to this story being oh actually she was she's been alive this whole time and the end of the story is that Arthur's parents get back together as like a reverse orphaning of himself is a very neat I guess, subversion to the typical superhero, Uncle Ben, the Waynes, Jonathan Kent sort of thing.
0: Sure, I, I, I guess it's like a, a meta a meta uh, subversion, but like, I definitely knew immediately when he's like, you know, and like, you know, and when they show him like out on the dock, um, when he's old, I'm like, oh she's going to be alive and they're going to like, they're going to, he's she's going to make good on that promise. So, okay. That's actually really interesting. That is also a detail from the comics, but in
1: the comics, it is a detail of disappointment. Aquaman's dad dies, never seeing Atlanta ever again. And so I was primed from the comics to read that as a moment of just like lost longing that never resolves. There's no closure to it in a way. Um, And I eventually figured it out, just kind of the way that they talked about, like, the trench and stuff like that. Like, oh, she was sacrificed, you know, like, she was sacrificed to the trench. Um, And there was, like, enough doubt sort of, like, sown later. But, yeah, that is a detail from the comics that is reversed explicitly um, because, yeah, his... Uh, Aquaman's dad does go out to the end of the dock, but he never, he just never gets to see her again. And, fair and it fair sucks. enough.
0: I, I guess, I guess it, it was a good subversion for the comic fans, but like for, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Which like-
1: is funny because typically the opposite happens, right? You don't bait and switch the comic fans. Typically the comic fans know it beforehand yeah. because they
0: know the resolution. Yeah, which is, <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, beyond like him, stand, like him sitting at the end of the dock is like, she's definitely alive. And then like the moment he's like, she's like, I, I still believe she's like and he's like she's dead I'm like she's not dead. There's there's no way that he insists that she's dead and she's actually dead. Like the movies yeah. don't work that <laughs> way. Um like if that was going to be the twist then he wouldn't know that she'd been executed. He would find that out later in the it's just like, you know, like this is, you know, this is very rote and manga is disappointed type of type of thing. Um but yeah. Uh uh the uh is that, like, is like, the ocean or the ocean at the center of the earth, is that, like, a thing from the comics? Um,
1: No. <laughs> it is in a certain sense because a lot of the comics, both Marvel and DC have, like, underground worlds within the world. Um, if that makes sense, where like, dinosaurs still exist. In DC, I believe, it's under the Arctic. There's, like, a big giant... Like it's almost like Un'Goro Crater or something kind of like that from like Wow, where there's like this right. steaming jungle of dinosaurs secretly, you know, hundreds of miles beneath the Earth's surface. Um, and then in Marvel, I think it's under the Pacific Ocean. It's like the Savage Land is kind of related to this stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, that is something that also very much came out of nowhere, like the hidden sea with dinosaurs. I like part. I love that stuff just because of how. Cool it felt from, like, an adventure story perspective. Sure. In a way, like, you know, it's the same sort of thing of, like, unlocking the tomb or whatever in, um, in like, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, you know, like, I, there's something about, like, these long-forgotten things, secrets about, like, our world um, that is just, like, compelling uh, in its own right. Even if it doesn't, like, make any sense, like, so, there's no evidence of uh, of Atlantis or the deserter kingdom or any of this stuff.
0: Um, so, so, honestly, I think it was, like, the, the big thing for me was, like, it, was, it seemed like this is this, like, spacious island underwater. It's like, they, I think we get a wide shot of it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. it's this big thing, and they go to the shore, and it's like... It's like, hello, I am I am Aquaman's mom, and the cave that you need to go to is 15 feet that way, and this is all you will see of this island. I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess we're going back now. <laughs> um, which is fine, yeah. you know, Like I, I felt like maybe- It provides
1: a good... I, I guess that's how Orm gets his polysiosaur since he rides on a Polysiosaur, which is an extinct dinosaur. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's also giant undersea crabs that are, you know massive and not real obviously so you know who cares yeah, yeah no no no. It, <laughs> you,
0: it's just it's just one of those things that was, it, it was not that it was like unrealistic it's just that like it felt yeah. like they like put this like big tasty treat in front of us and it was like it's like you don't actually get to 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 enjoy this risk like you know we're going to show you like you know this the smallest piece of this and then leave and i think that that Part of this is that I feel like I think this is part of informance by some of that, that early dialogue was so like like quick. And, you know, like, instead of like doing like a, a scene where he explains who, the you know, whose grandfather was, um, who Black Man, his grandfather was, they just kind of like say it's because they feel like they, they like just had t- too many things they were trying to do in this movie. And so some things needed to be cut into dialogue and short pieces. Um, yeah, like somebody
1: has to do the exposition or Yeah, whatever. yeah it, or Somebody um,
0: has to be handled in the exposition rather than in, in, in a scene
1: Yeah, so when we first got out of this movie You said, buddy, how can you like this movie? Because was just like bathos
0: everywhere Yeah
1: And I want you to know that I went to go see Aquaman again that night Because I saw it first last week uh, on Saturday in advanced screening And then this week again on Thursday I, And I wrote three pages of notes about
0: bathos in this movie <laughs> I would love it if you just you were like he's wrong and I'm gonna go watch it again and see it just.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I so so this is something I think is really like interesting and I actually do kind of want to break down a bit. Um, The thing that I said afterwards um, about like bathos uh, in uh, in Aquaman is that the oh is that. Almost every moment of high drama is allowed to be high drama and there are not really jokes at the expense of the drama, even if there are jokes in the middle of the drama, if that makes sense. Does that make like a – is there a distinction there that that is is real or do you feel like I'm off the mark?
0: So, I, I obviously – I only saw it once and I wasn't taking notes when it happened. Um, So, maybe I'm I, – I, you know, like maybe I'm misremembering it, but like I feel like – I feel like maybe I'll accept that there's a theoretical difference there, but I feel like that's a high bar to clear, right? Like that, like any joke during, in the middle of the drama is, is, is going to in some way undercut the drama by it being a moment of levity in the middle of it. Um, and I'm not saying that it's impossible to maintain a level of drama through that. I just think that, like, it's, it's, it's really hard to. and in-
1: Yeah, because I, I was comparing this a lot. I rewatched a bunch of the, the Marvel movies in preparation for this. Like, I rewatched Thor 3 and Black Panther. Um, and I think Thor 3 has a ton of bathos and it really gets on my nerves. Um, because, like, I think the biggest moments of highest drama are typically undercut by bathos right where like bruce banner says something about how awesome he is as the hulk and then he jumps out of the plane and bounces off and his like limp body bounces off the bridge yeah yeah. or whatever and then two seconds later he hulks out anyway and fights like the wolf that is like true bathos that is about anti-climax right right at the expense of the drama you think that the, the drama is about to happen and then it doesn't and that's funny but it also kills kind of the drama and i feel like there are things that are uh like so i I was thinking about this in in uh comparison to merc the atlantean commando who has to dunk his head in the toilet in order to survive after mira severs his line would you consider that to be bathos yes okay because i think the difference there is that like that's like a bit of slapstick in the fight, and I do agree to a certain extent that in a, that any joke provides a a contrast and a juxtaposition to any drama in the middle of a fight. Like when you have this like small slapstick beat inside of the fight, it kind of undermines the tension a little bit. But I feel like that is permissible and appropriate in a way that. You know the Hulk jumping out of the airplane and bouncing off the bridge isn't. Or another example would be like when that when Thor and the Hulk are about to fight in the arena and he goes, "Yes, he's a friend from work," right? Like that is a moment of bathos that also drives me nuts because it is it's, it is essentially making fun of the audience being invested in the hype and the build up to a big Thor versus Hulk rumble. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: so I I see what you're saying and, and I think I've got a theory as to. Like, kind of our our divergence on this. And I think that it's – you – like, I will agree with you that the moments that you tend to dislike more, I think, um, are, like, harder undercuts. But um, I think the differences is I thought a lot of these moments in, in Aquaman weren't that funny. And so oh, I think okay. that's worse to me because at least when you get the bathos in a Marvel movie, typically, I think they're really funny and it like makes up for it, I guess. Or like mm. that's a thing that, I, that, that you know, I, I can recognize as a preference in myself. Whereas when it happens in in, a, in in Aquaman, I feel like those moments aren't that funny. And so it stings me harder because like you get the, you, you get the cut in the drama. You don't even get a laugh
1: out of it. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, yeah. You,
0: you, you get the cut in the drama. And even though it's not as a severe cut, it's like with a bad joke. So that feels worse to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And but I, I definitely also feel see your like, point.
1: I also feel like most of the moments of, like, big high drama got were allowed to play without any sort of bathos. In the same way that, like, you know, um, the, the big high drama of, like, this Hulk versus Thor fight. At the end of the day, like, Merck's shoving his head in the toilet is not – he's not a very important character. And he – it's not – it's not a part, you know. It would be different if this was something between Black Manta and Arthur, but like the whole fight between Black Manta and Arthur is dead straight and full stakes. You know what I mean? There is no moment where, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I there, mean, there's, there's the
0: part where he ex- apologizes to the Italian grandma.
1: Oh, you're right. Yeah, where he where he says excuse me, yeah. to the Italian grandma. Yeah, that was funny. Um, um, but like, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I felt like. I was just writing all of these things down, where like Manta gets the knife has no bathos in it. Aquaman and Black Manta meet. There is no, there is no bathos. Black Manta swears his revenge has no bathos. These are all from the same scene, I guess. Orm and Aquaman meet has no bathro, uh, has no, no bathos. Aquaman learns his mother is dead. Wait, has wait, no wait.
0: Uh, uh, no, uh, Aquaman and Orm is undercut by Mira saying your brother's clearly an imbecile.
1: That was really. That, 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 I don't know. I, that was not. I mean, I guess I think it was funny in an abstract sense, I, it, but it was I, it, like it was, also very in character. Like it felt like there it was wasn't an anti-climax
0: there. Like, uh, so the uh, uh, so, you know is, that's how I read it. That it was supposed to be a joke.
1: So no, no, no. So even if it is a joke, right? Like, I don't think it's like anti-climax in a certain sense. By that
0: definition, everything is Beth Okay. So so, so you know, I I feel like she Maybe, really maybe I'm, not, I'm not that, fully imbra- uh, understanding the. The uh,
1: now I need to look it up. The yeah. definition of bathos, um, and,
0: and you know I, I'm you know I I have mostly been working from a definition of like jokes in the middle of drama undercut the drama. Yeah. Um. So the so the the true definition of bathos is an effective anticlimax
1: created by an unintentional lapse in mood from the sublime to the trivial or ridiculous. Okay. And I and I do get that for the. For instance for the for the toilet thing, right like I think there is like a degree okay. of bathos there in the sense that like the sublimity the or the sublim sublimation I don't know who knows um of the uh of the fight between Mira and Merc is undercut by that or whatever, but I feel like the thing with Mira she just really believes he's an imbecile and it's funny right but I don't think that it's like it's it's creating an anticlimax
0: okay at all. No, so so um, so I, I i will I will grant you that um. Uh, I, I still kind of, I mean, I think this kind of feeds into the, into this kind of difference between us. Like it, it like, it appears that like what you really get hung up is that anticlimactic aspect, which I, which I yeah. totally understand. And for me, again, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, uh, it's a direct result of like me not liking the humor as much. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I guess, I guess the, the problem I have is less, <coughs> excuse me, pure bathos and more, um, uh, and, and more just kind of like that, that, uh, that, that. You know, level of humor aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that, I also think
0: know. a piece of it is that like the
1: honeymooners aspect between Mira and Aquaman, which I like a lot and I think is very good. I think if there's anything, uh, if there's anything about the characters that I do think, I think the characters are overall very good in this movie. Um, and if. I, I, I think the plot is weak um, in, in so far as it's just kind of predictable, but that's okay because it makes up for it kind of on the back end with um, with stuff like the world building, uh, the action filmmaking. And uh, and crucially, I think that the, the dynamic between Mira and Arthur works um, in so far as, like, she just doesn't take any of his shit. And they have that kind of, almost like a rom-com kind of, like, contra, like, contrarian bickering relationship that eventually kind of coalesces into something better once they have been allowed to change one another if yeah, that makes yeah. sense um and so but that then so that to me just fell right in line with the kind of like with what we had seen with in fact i would actually make the argument that that is a core part of mira's character arc because i think insofar as i think her character arc is kind of You know, she is entirely motivated by stopping this war for Atlantis because she doesn't want to see the casualties that it's going to bring to the Atlanteans. Um, And she kind of comes around to Arthur's point of view on the surface world and uh, and that he is a real person who has real emotions and can teach her real things. Right. Like I think it's just it's entirely in line with all of that stuff. It feels like to me.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair um uh there was there were a couple other things I wanted to highlight before we we, we got out of here there were a couple of things I just wanted to, to, to kind of throw out there um one uh uh like th- this is like kind of like nitpicky but like I was kind of I thought it was kind of weird that like um that 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 ocean master was willing to like trust black manta with like the like with the black manta stuff right like. Like it felt very much like is very much. Ha! Huh, those fucking surface dwellers. What? What? Yeah. What? what Ponce's right. And then he's like, "Here, have our most advanced technology, and you're in charge of an elite commando unit. Go for it." And I was just like, yeah. "That that feels weird." Like, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I you know, to a certain extent, I think uh, this. Is, I
1: actually really like that moment where King Narius is like, "No, like you can't harm my daughter," right? Right. Um, because it clearly sets up a. Like a, a sort of political bridge that Orm needs to cross, but he can't do it publicly, which is why he has to kind of like set up this, you know, this thing with Black Manta because Black Manta can harm, you know, he says that he's like, you can, you know, you can harm them even if my people can't or, or so whatever. So
0: I would have bought that if, uh, if he did, if the people with Black Manta weren't other Merc people, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it feels like he just should have sent his, like, you said his name was Merc, um, you should have, yeah. you just should have sent. The mercenaries to go do that, um, rather than, than involve Black Manta.
1: So Murk's name is M U R K, like murky water. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's like a he's like a minor character. Okay, in, okay, he really hates the surface world, and he he got his hand chopped off, um, which was actually like a neat thing uh, to see in the movie because like it happens in the comics, and then Murk replaces it with like something i don't even remember but like yeah he's like a he's like a badass i hate the surface world commando um that when arthur is king of atlantis he kind of has to like contend with because um you know obviously like that, that's like part of the political drama about him being king is kind of dealing with people who hate the surface world um and like do want to execute on the war that orm couldn't if that makes sense um yeah, I mean, I like a lot of that stuff with. Uh, I like a lot of that stuff with Black Manta. I love his little like tech montage. I thought that was, you know, like that was cool. Um, and, uh, and I, man, I just really like Black Manta in general. I'm glad that they're doing like Black Manta um, in the second movie, as set up by the post credit scene. Though I have to say, I am forever disappointed that Lex Luthor did not show up and recruit Black Manta because that's what I wanted. So badly,
0: like, who is, is, I, is the conspiracy theorist uh, a, a character from the from the comics? Yeah.
1: So, Doctor Shin, um, Doctor Shin is is another kind of like interesting, tough decision kind of character for Arthur. Um, Doctor Shin is the person who, okay. So, Doctor Shin has always believed that that Atlantis is real, right? And when Arthur was first kind of coming of age, he is brought to Doctor Shin to figure out what. You know like what all this stuff is and Dr. Shin is like oh my god you're half Atlantean so you can breathe underwater and you're stronger and all this stuff so essentially kind of all the stuff that happens with Volko is stuff that happens with Dr. Shin in the comics Um, but then the thing is is that Dr. Shin wants to publish his findings and Aquaman's dad is like no I'm not going to let you reveal my son's crazy you know superpowers to the world and so dr shin goes forward anyway and reveals it publicly but only conspiracy theorists take him seriously um and so he is simultaneously a person that like deeply betrays aquaman he's also the person that gets black manta sent after um uh aquaman in like the very first place that ends up with aquaman killing black manta's dad um but also in like but that's all in the past. That's all backstory. And then in the present, Doctor Shin is very remorseful about that, and so everybody hates him. Mira hates him. Black Manta hates him. Um, and you know all of these other all of these other kinds of things. But he is he like expresses his regret truly to Arthur, um, and he and Arthur accepts it. And he's like, yeah, like I I. I know that you're sorry and I accept your apology kind of thing. But that's always, like, that's viewed as, like, a big moment of weakness by, like, everyone around him. And so you as the reader know that Aquaman is doing the right thing, but he's being punished for it anyway. Which is part of what I mean about, like, these bittersweet things, right? Like, he's doing the right thing by sealing the trench, but he's punished for it anyway. He's doing the right thing by turning Orm over for killing thousands of people, but he's kind of punished for it anyway, sort of. Um or, you know, or however that, that stuff kind of looks. So, yeah, so that is that is the, the, uh, that is the relationship with Dr. Shin. I'm really interested to see what they're going to go with for... Orm and Black Manta are, like, the big pillars on which Aquaman exists. Um, the third pillar is King Nereus, who is Mira's dad. But the relationship between Mira and Aquaman is very different in this movie. Um, in, uh, in the comics, she has, like, a Mara Jade thing, where she is tasked by her dad to... Uh, assassinate Arthur um, while he is king of Atlantis and as she's like getting close to him in order to like land the killing blow she realizes that he's not so bad and that her dad is a meanie and so she like turns on him or whatever Um, and so yeah it kind of feels like they have blown their load a little bit when it comes to like the big Aquaman stories Um, the other one would be Aquaman losing his hand but even that is, like, a pretty minor villain named Charybdis, um, like, the like the whirlpool or whatever. So I've, I, I have no idea what they're going to do for, like, Aquaman 2 because uh, they basically took, like, the 50 best comics from recent Aquaman and they put them all in this movie. They did The Trench. They did Black Manta. They did Orge Ocean Master. You know, they did Mira and King Narius. It's all in there, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm very excited for the. Um, I'm very excited for like the the stinger in a way of Aquaman saying, "When you're ready, let's talk," um, because I like when Orm and Aquaman work together, uh, and I like when they kind of subvert in a way that sort of like Loki or like Killmonger kind of like relationship between usurper and usurpee. Um, because – and I do hope that they kind of lean heavily into, like, lawful neutral Orm rather than lawful evil Orm who's trying to, like, undermine his brother and take power or whatever. Um, because that, I think, is a more interesting – I just – you know, we've seen Loki and Thor across three movies, across, like, six movies by this point. Um and I would like to see. I, I kind of want to see like the subversive aspect of that, where like he, Aquaman is able to redeem and uh, and come to terms with his half brother.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'd like to, I'd like to see that too. Mostly because like that was that was one of my disappointments with Ronin the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy. Is, oh he, yeah,
1: I know. God, Ronan the Accuser, right?
0: Yeah, we get to see Ronin again in uh in um. Uh, the the what, what's the Captain Marvel? Yeah, uh, Captain
1: Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah, I hope they they do him justice. Ronan the Accuser is one of my favorite Marvel characters, um, so
0: you know, let's hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I think that's uh, everything for uh, Aquaman, right? Uh, did you want to talk that about that?
1: Is yeah, I think that's that's. I mean, I could talk about this movie for a long time. I'm sure but you could. I feel like we covered. I feel like we covered the important stuff.
0: Uh, so first thing for the week is I'm going to go over the D box aspect of Aquaman, just kind of like a transition sure. thing, cause it's not yeah. really like related to the movie at all. Um, but you know, I saw this Aquaman on a D box. It's kind of like a, a, like a, like a very minor rollercoastery type thing. Um, right? you can adjust it to your preferred setting. I had it turned up to the maximum so I could get the maximum like experience and you kind of like wave around a bit. Um, gonna say that i wasn't a huge i didn't feel like it was super impactful um or super like uh, it didn't make the movie i don't think that any better for me um like i think i feel like i much would have rather been in like a like like one of those big recliner chairs that you get in like some of the the fancier theaters um yeah. that being said i could see it being really good in like a movie where you were where like it was like a, a car movie right like a fast and the furious or like a, a Fury Road or you know
1: oh right and right neat yeah Yeah,
0: I think those could work well I don't think it like and like you know obviously it definitely wouldn't work great for like a like a like a core movie right like Manchester by the Sea in a D-Box would be like not a great experience um, but uh, I think that uh, I, I think that it's probably not like I, I don't think it was worth the um the extra money um, I don't think I'd be doing it again except for like a a racing style movie or something like that um, <coughs> but uh, other than that, um, I haven't been. I I played some Smash this week. Um, it continued to be Smash Brothers. Um, I haven't done a lot else. Uh, what what, do you, what how's your week been, buddy?
1: Uh so along with seeing Aquaman last night, I saw a um, I saw another movie that came out this weekend, Bumblebee. The inherent eroticism of the bee, the iron. B, because it's just the Iron Giant, but with Bumblebee. Uh, so, yeah, so I saw Bumblebee with friend of the cast, Warren. It was it was a whole thing. Uh, it is the best Transformers movie, sort of, by default, but it's also very funny because... Uh... It's a prequel, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a prequel, but it's funny because it completely... It is simultaneously set within the Transformers cinematic universe in the sense that there are specific references to aspects of the mythos that were created for the Transformers cinematic universe including John Turturro's character Simmons including Sector 7 which is like the the alien hunting like group from the 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 Michael Bay Transformers movies these things don't exist in the Transformers comics they are uh, like entirely in, inventions of the movie franchise itself but it also is in complete ad- is in a, in a complete adversarial relationship with those movies because th- it I guess retcons it counters the continuity it none of the stuff that happens in Bumblebee makes any sense if you like have a passing not even a passing resemblance because you do I guess have to look pretty hard but if you understand the Transformers cinematic continuity which I do because it's hilarious and it doesn't make a lot of sense. You, that continuity is completely destroyed by the existence of Bumblebee, and it doesn't make any, and it just doesn't make any sense, which I find absolutely hilarious, right? Even Aquaman, which is doing a similar thing, I think, which is trying to kind of, like, distance itself from, like, a franchise that's not particularly well-liked, right? It doesn't, Aquaman doesn't spend a lot of time talking about Justice League, Um They'd have one mention of Steppenwolf and what happened with Steppenwolf, and that's you know that's basically it. He has the same trident, you know he does the he does the half naked thing or whatever. But overall, Aquaman is not very uh, is not very concerned with the events of the wider DC extended universe. Um, but uh, Bumblebee very much is it also just doesn't seem to care so it's in this it's in this weird place of it is simultaneously throwing in all of these easter eggs for if you know the transformers cinematic continuity oh cool look this is simmons when he's young in the 80s oh cool this is what sector 7 looks like oh cool you know like or whatever but also at the same time completely undercutting all of that stuff uh, otherwise the movie is not gr- it's fu- it's fine i guess it's fine it's just kind of normal um and uh it's one of those movies it's a little bit like Ragnarok in this way where like the whole second act is just kind of dicking around while you wait for the plot to catch up and you keep cutting back to the villains doing villain stuff and they're like oh we're going to get bump we're going to get bumblebee oh we're going to get him so good but the But that doesn't take place until the third act. It's about an hour and 45 minutes until, like, the villains and Bumblebee interact for the first time. um, And we really kind of kick things in high gear. Wow. Um, Yeah, I know. Uh, Even though uh, Michael Bay is traditionally considered one of the better action filmmakers, the action in this movie is much better than it was in any of the Michael Bay Transformers movies. And that comes and... Uh, And that comes as no surprise because the character designs on Bumblebee and the other Transformers in the movie are legible. uh, Just because they're all primary colors. They just cover him in these plates that are yellow. So when you see yellow, you know that's Bumblebee. And when you see red, you know that's a bad guy. Or when you see blue, you know that's a bad guy. Um, uh, They also... uh, they they the they change the the filmmaking style a little bit, but they do. so okay, so um uh, okay, so so i talked about like impact action filmmaking, which is all about like maximizing like the impact of these fights, right? So what you see, for instance, in Aquaman is Black Manta shoots his laser beams from his eyes and the camera watches the laser leave Black Manta's eyes hit arthur and then the mom- that momentum propels arthur off of a you know a roof or something like that and you watch arthur fall the whole way right so in a sense what it becomes is like the subject is black Manta acting on the object and the and there is a transference between them using the lasers um and and i like that a lot and i think that that's very good the reverse of this is what i guess i would call like subject action filmmaking which is the same sort which i don't want to say is bad right it's just like a different sort of flavor um so a lot of the marvel movies have this um kind of before the russo brothers got their hands on things and um and like john wick for instance is a very good example of like subject action filmmaking and it makes a lot of sense for john wick because he's using guns and guns are not about like momentum and impact they're just about shooting things so watching john wick shoot guys is cool Um, but they, but what ends up happening is you, when you do this in a movie like Bumblebee, where there's a lot of like fisticuffs, even if it's between robots and they're big giant robots that are like causing like mayhem and destruction, um, it just looks like the robots are fighting the frame. Uh, there's this whole thing in the in the very beginning. This isn't much of a spoiler, where uh, like the Transformers are fighting on Cybertron, um, and it's cool to see Cybertron for the first time in the cinematic universe, um, but or maybe not for the first time, but. Um, the the camera is just rooted on bumblebee as he's spinning around and shooting his gun and it's supposed to look very cool but the thing is he's shooting his gun off screen at bad guys you can't see or you can only see a part of or you see for half a second and then the camera whips around because it is just entirely rooted on bumblebee the whole time um which uh which kind of sucks uh there are some moments of cool things like with transforming stuff like that. I guess I won't spoil any of that stuff because I want this to be like a spoiler free review. Um, But, uh, but yeah, you know, so that, that kind of sucks. Also uh, it's very dim. They, they light the scenes very weird in the sense that they kind of want to do the Zack Snyder thing where they shoot everything against black. They, they shoot like all of the big fights happen at night because at night allows you to have high contrast between, you know, in, in Zack Snyder movies, it's the red of Superman's cape or something like that. Um, and in this movie, they do that. But, like, the lighting is so bad that Bumblebee just kind of gets muddled into dark shadows in the background. And so even if you have something that looks good or is cool... Um, you a lot of the times miss it because of these lighting issues. It's all very weird, uh, especially because it's all VFX anyway. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's Bumblebee. Uh, that's my that's my spoiler free. It's my spoiler free review of 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 the Bumblebee movie.
0: Well, uh, okay then. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's like it's, it's so given that you said it kind of like fucks with the, the continuity. It's like. Sam Witwicky just, like, not, like, a thing that anybody even references anymore?
1: Yeah, no. So, in the first Transformers continuity, um, Bum- we I think we watch Bumblebee come to Earth. No, we don't watch Bumblebee come to Earth. We watch Optimus Prime come to Earth. Whereas, Bumblebee ends with Optimus Prime on Earth, like, chatting with Bumblebee. Um, and the other thing is that in Transformers 5, it's revealed that Bumblebee... Helped fight the Nazis in World War II, but Bumblebee couldn't have because in this movie, we watch him crash land in upstate California in the 80s. Um, not to mention... That we see uh, his voice box get ripped out, which is a detail from the movies. Obviously, in like the TV show, he has his voice box, but like the thing in the movies is that Bumblebee has his voice box damaged, and so he has to talk through the radio or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's just crazy. This is. I, I wonder is if they're insane. gonna
0: like try and result like you know like Transformers Twelve is just going to be like, ha, huh, these were actually different versions of Bumblebee. Yeah, I I just don't understand because it's like they have the the thing about
1: Bumblebee losing his voice box is he's like fighting a Decepticon and he's losing and the Decepticon like holds him over a cliff and Bumblebee is like, I'll never talk because they're all trying. They're like, where's Optimus Prime? He's like, I'll never talk. And then the Decepticon is like oh, really? And there's this, like, scene that's supposed to be agonizing, and it is actually kind of, like, affecting, where the Decepticon, like, reaches into Bumblebee's throat and rips out what you assume to be his voice box, and he can't talk anymore after that. Um, And then they, like, drop him off of this cliff, and he gets, like, all battered and shit. Um, and, uh, And so that is a detail that only is useful to a movie watcher, right? Because Bumblebee only has lost his voice box in the movies. And they played so mu- they put so much like attention and weight on this moment, right? Like this is oh, this is the moment where Bumblebee the beloved Transformers character loses his voice box. Oh, it's so sad. Um but you're but you're also in the middle of a fight that doesn't make any sense in the greater Transformers continuity where it's like well, didn't we just learn in the last movie that Bumblebee was secretly fighting fucking Hitler? How does this make any sense? It just, I guess it just doesn't. Yeah, and Um, I also feel
0: like that's one of those things where, like, you don't need to explain it, and explaining it just kind of like, why didn't anybody ever fix it? Yeah, it
1: is very much that. It is a lot like explaining, it's a lot like the solo movie uh, thing, where they're just, like, explaining trivial bullshit the whole time um, that was cool when it was
0: implied and now it's just like oh come yeah. on a little bit. And, you know like i i you know i think there's a level of it like you know like seeing the castle run that's okay like meeting mm. chewy a little bit worse but i can live with it explaining why he's yeah. named han solo like <laughs> <laughs>
1: i know oh god yep yep explaining why explaining the dice You know, a lot of things on on the solo movie. This isn't the solo movie podcast, but, yeah, it is very much the same thing. Anyway, besides this stuff, I find that stuff funny, and I find some of the, you know, I think the cinematography, the lighting and stuff was not great, but, you know, the core drama of Bumblebee works in the same way as, in the same sort of way that, like, I would say the core drama of Aquaman works. Like, these are pinprick things where, you know, at the end of the day, I buy into the story of a girl and her car or whatever. Um, And so I'd say ultimately Bumblebee is a good movie, but flawed Um, very much on par with Aquaman being a good movie, but flawed Uh, though. Aquaman is better because the action is better. And that's the big selling point for either of these movies. Right. Um, So
0: yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that. Um, (laughs) So question for you. Did have you ever play? Did, did you ever play Arc? No, uh, yeah, but you've been talking about this thing with what Atlas? Atlas, yes. I actually. Yeah, so,
1: Rachel really loves Arc, uh, or doesn't really love Ark. She hates Arc, but she played Arc. She played a whole bunch of Arc for a long time, um, and also friend of the cast Warren played Arc. Uh, and eventually they got really frustrated with the game because something about it was stupid. A bunch of stupid stuff happens. Who knows? And, um, and they kind of put the game down, but now they're coming out with a new game Atlas. Is that yes. true?
0: So the, the big kind of shit show with this is it was supposed to come. So they announced it on, uh, they announced it at the game awards. It was supposed to come out on December 13th. Then they delayed it to December 19th. Um, I had kind of forgotten about it. And so I started paying attention to it around December 19th. Like, I had December 18th. Uh. I was like, oh, yeah, that game's out. I should check it out. I'm like, oh, it's December 19th. I thought I had misremembered it, but then I saw that they had delayed it. So it's like, comes out in 12 hours. I'm like, neat. I said, weird that you can't pre purchase it, but okay. I come home the next day. I'm like, all right, this game, there's, there's no buy button. That's that's weird. Um, and I'm like, I wonder, uh, I wonder what's up. And so I checked their Twitter. Nothing on their Twitter. Nothing on like, uh, no, like nothing on like any of their official pages, like no news announcement. I'm like, this is weird. They have a link to the Discord, so I like I open their Discord. Um, I I, I and I uh I like poke around. And everybody's like, yeah. So what what's up? And then like within like half <laughs> half an hour of that happening, they put out a, a another trailer and they say we've decided to delay it um till Friday, um which was yesterday. And so, like, immediately everybody's, like – everybody's posting a quote from, like, the lead of the studio that's, like, um, you know, like, you know, we we were bad at our communication with Ark and we don't want to make that, st- that that same mistake again. Um, we want to be more communicative with, with, with our players. And, like, you know, as kind of, like, the posting that is, like, you know, like, see, they're not telling us anything. They just kind of, uh. like, you know, because this was, like, six to eight hours after it was supposed to have been released, right? So I'm, like – okay whatever i'll you know like that's that's supposed to, it's supposed to come out on friday night i'll i'll check it out then right like see what's up with it so um i get home friday night. it's still out and at this point they had already announced it. it's like we're pulling we're delaying it till noon today uh, it's like so what, what the fuck is happening so I, I actually just checked and uh it's out now um it is, uh, 37% of these rev- uh, are positive, so it's mostly negative, and, uh, I'm scrolling down now to see if it's, if it's, uh, uh, it, uh, they, they are, people are savaging it, um, it looks like it, it doesn't work right now, like,
1: okay, yeah,
0: like, <laughs> like, like, the game doesn't seem to work. Uh, uh, there people are claiming it's a reskin of arc. People are saying that like, like one of the key features was that it was going to be one world with 40,000 people in it. Um, apparently it's like 150 people per, across 270 servers that don't cross over. Right. And it's in early wow. access. So, you know, if I'm going to be charitable, I would say that like, these are things that will eventually be true that aren't true now, but it very much like I looked at it and I was like, this looks neat, right? Like this is the, t- the type of game that is up my alley. Um, uh, so it would be the type of thing that I would be I would be willing to kind of explore, but uh, I, I obviously, like I said, I just kind of started looking at these uh, reviews um, right now. So uh, I am going to keep my eye on it, but uh, I'm not I'm not going to play. I I wanted your I wanted to see if you had, like, kind of insight into that, uh, kind of like arc drama. Yeah, no,
1: I have, I have no idea about that, about that arc drama. I do know some friends who still play arc, kind of as like a more advanced Minecraft in a certain sort of way. Um, but I never graduated, I guess, to that, to that kind of level of survival game. Though I did want to ask your opinion about another thing, uh, that was announced recently. I don't think at the Game Awards, but whatever. Um, the, um, uh, so have you seen this new? Uh, not Fallout. God, I, the fact that I want to call it Fallout is fucked up, though. Uh, the new Far Cry, Far Cry, a new world or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I've,
0: I've seen that. Yeah, it's yeah. Like what,
1: a- what, 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 what are your
0: thoughts? Give me your give me your rundown on the new Far Cry. Um, it looks neat. I'm ex- I'm vaguely excited for like the extension of the old story um, mm-hmm. aspect. Um, it could be neat. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment for when it actually comes out, I guess. Like, you know, I thought Fallout, Fallout, (laughs) Far Cry 4, (laughs) 4, 4, 5, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) whatever, whatever Far Cry that we both played, like, in the beginning of this year, I thought it was all right. Um, I thought it had a lot of these kind of, uh, systems, like, so I've got this working theory that open world games kind of, uh, of this mold have this kind of recurring problem where, um, the the game isn't like this because you can go through the game in any order um the skill tree um like as you play the game the game it's not like you scale to the challenges like the game just continually gets easier which i think is bad um because it's not like you, you get like new challenges that you need new tools to deal with it's you you get new tools to make the old challenges easier um, and a lot of the, the existing challenges come with like uh, just kind of like cutting off pieces of your toolkit, which I think is fundament- fundamentally unfun design. Um, uh, and I, I think this is just kind of like the, the way that skill up systems work in this open world game. Like the most fun I had in Far Cry, uh, Far Cry five was, uh, was the first area I did, which was Jacob's area. And I, it might be that Jacob's area was better, better produced but I also. Think, I think most of it's that like I had, it was the first area I did. And therefore I had the most challenge with. Um, it's, it's actually kind of funny
1: because I, I have two feelings about this. One um, is that sometimes when challenge is modular – it doesn't feel good. Um, in the same way like like Skyrim and Fallout 4 have kind of been hit for this where like everything just scales to your level yeah. so it's a little bit like why why even bother? You never get to feel powerful even when you keep powering up. Um, and something that the original Far Cry 3 did which I thought was neat was that when you hit End Game, you opened up a whole second island. Um, like you started on the jungle island and you were fighting Voss, and then you opened up the second island which was kind of um you know where you by by the time you defeat Voss, you're pretty powerful and by the time you and then you go to that second island and the bad guys are a little bit stronger but they're still like plateaued and you still are getting stronger progressively yourself and so you're kind of working through in a way um kind of like turning through um the uh you're, you're, like, churning through the content, but you still get to feel like an uber-powerful badass, and I've... The, some games have have hit that for me, and some games haven't. Uh, I do... I keep, I keep meaning to go back to Dragon Age Inquisition, actually, um, just because, like, the Dragon Age trailer has me been like, oh, yeah, I remember how, like, how much I love that game. Um... And Dragon Age Inquisition felt that way to me. Like, it felt good when I was leveling up and getting more powerful. Um, even even while, like, some of the enemies were scaling, some of them weren't. And you were fighting these dragon fights that were, like, mechanics-based and stuff like that. All, that. all that kind of good shit. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I'm very interested by to see Far Cry New Dawn. Uh, in a way, the Far Cry series is kind of one of my favorite game series. Not as a fan, but as, like, an onlooker in a way. Um... I like these games a lot, but I'm not I, I like I don't I wouldn't stand for them in the way I stand for like Mass Effect or Dragon Age or, or Total War or anything like these. And so, I very much want to play it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I want to I want to see what it kind of comes down to. Yeah. And I almost sort of hope that it is a new better Fallout. In a way, especially because seventy six is apparently Garbo. Yeah, um, Um, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping on Outer Worlds for that one, uh, which the Obsidian. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I remember Outer
0: Worlds. Yeah. Excuse me. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely willing to give it a chance. I'm probably gonna wait for the reviews on that one and make the decision at that point. Um. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about
1: uh, some Hearthstone news that I think is interesting. I just kind of want to, like, address really quickly. Um, so, Rastakhan's Rumble come, came out three weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> like, two and a half weeks ago. <clears throat> and on Monday at midnight, they announced in eight hours they were going to be nerfing a couple of cards. Uh, I think it was, like, six cards total, maybe five cards total. Um, that were that were targeting things like – I had talked about the Shudderwalk problem earlier in the cast. They got rid of the ability for Shudderwalk to be an infinite combo that just repeats itself over and over oh, again. Oh, did they get rid um, of
0: the, the ability to – I thought they put a cap on how many effects it – So,
1: they, so they, they did do that, but you could still have the infinite Shudderwalk thing happen because each individual battle cry is kind of discreet. And as long as it's under 20, it's fine. Um, the interesting thing that they did <clears throat> is that Shudderwalk was using a card called Serenite Chain Gang, which has a battle cry that says Summon a Copy. Yeah um they they changed that battle cry to say summon another Serenite chain gang. Uh. so now it does not summon another Shudderwalk. it summons a Serenite chain gang um so the infinite combo is no longer possible where you're popping Shudderwalks back into your hand uh, for however much mana um for one mana and then playing them like over and over again uh they also nerfed uh r- the druid's ability to ramp Wild Growth is now three mana from two mana, which is gain an empty mana crystal, and then Nourish is now six mana from five mana, which is gain two mana crystals. Um, most people think that Druid is going to be garbage, be just because of how much it relied on Ramp and the ability to use these two cards um, to kind of like rocket itself for. Yeah, I, I was never under the uh, impression
0: that Ramp was like that broken that like it warranted that kind of nerf. Um yeah, I mean part of it I think is they I, I don't know, I don't really know.
1: Part of it is that they also gave Druid some just like really powerful defensive tools that I don't think that they should have. Uh, I might make the argument that ramp is not that big of a deal, but like things like wild growth, um, or I'm sorry, that things like spreading plague, which allows you to summon a bunch of taunt minions. Um, or, uh, Oaken summons, which allows you to summon a, a creature from your deck and gain a bunch of armor, um, summoning taunt minions like that. I think that's the problem with Druid, like, Druid typically, tr- Druid is, it's okay for a Druid deck to want to win with combo, in the way that, like, a Malygos Druid wants to reduce the mana cost of Maligos. And then play him for cheap and like batter you in the face with a bunch of moon fires or whatever. Um, I th- I think that that's that's like a win condition that they're like okay that's a fair win condition. Um, but like the druid's ability to ramp to that win condition and play defensive to that win condition are both kind of overpowered. Okay. And instead of going for the the druid's defensive abilities, um, they instead go for the druid's um, uh, they said go for the druid's ramp. I would have probably gone the other side and said that druids were gaining too much armor, uh, that they were that their taunts were too that their taunt creatures were too powerful, um, that the ability to summon a big ass board of taunts was too powerful. Um, but uh, you know, they, they I don't know they made the opposite decision. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I do think ramp is powerful, uh, and and I and I almost sort of wonder if this is something that they're doing like for the future.
0: Yeah, I, I could also see it being something along the lines of like. When you're nerfing defensive op, like, if you have to choose be between defensive options and ramps, there's a bunch of way to have defensive options, so you can, like, kind of widen that field. It feels mm-hmm. like ramp, there's, like, very few cards that let you do that, and so, like, I think, um, typically c- card games desires tend to want to shy away from, like, this card must be in your deck in order for it to be viable, and it feels like yeah. if, if ramp is the way that you want the druid to go, then, like, wild Rose kind of becomes, uh, uh, becomes mandatory, which which is probably...
1: Yeah, it. and they also do this thing, which I think um, sucks to a certain extent, where the existence of Ramp allows Druid to kind of just ignore having, like, a well-built curve. Right. Um, because every... I mean, basically every deck has Wild Growth and Nourish in it at 2 mana and 5 mana before they're nerfed to 3 and 6. <clears throat> and... um And I think, like, the problem with that, to a certain extent, is just that you can just have the most expensive bullshit ever because your first couple of turns are going to ramp. Maybe you'll take a bunch of damage from aggro decks, but they're on four mana, you're on seven, and now you can just throw down a whole bunch of defensive options, you know, three or four times until there's nothing that they can do to really, like, blast past your wall and get in, and get in sort of lethal before their combo goes off. Yeah. Um... I think part of this is uh, having also, a, a, sing- a single yeah, mana they,
0: system, right? Like Magic has the the complexity of uh, of having multiple. Oh yeah, mana like types. multiple different types yeah. of mana.
1: Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> they also um, they changed Kingsbane Rogue, which was a uh, Kingsbane is a card that keeps all enchantments you cast on it, um, and they used to have an enchantment called uh, Leeching Poison which would give your weapon lifesteal, but they basically realized that once you get a big King's Bane of like 10 attack, you're just lifestealing for 10 every turn, and it's kind of impossible to kill you unless you can burst 30 for, um, you know, like from nothing sort of thing. So they changed that um, so that it's just lifesteal for one turn only. Um, and then there was one other change that I can't remember. Oh, and then they nerfed Odd Paladin by getting rid of um, the the card Level Up, which ter- turns all your Silverhand recruits into three threes. Um, R.I.P. Odd Paladin, which was using the upgraded hero power to summon two one one Silver Hand recruits every turn. That was legit, and I'm so glad that it's gone because it was bullshit.
0: It, so are these are these the Rosticon Rumble nerfs? Yeah. Okay. The interesting thing about these nerfs, though, is that they
1: were announced at midnight. They came out eight hours later at eight a.m. Um, and on the next day there was a and then on the next day there was a tournament. Um, oh. Yeah, and so th- and so there's, there's been a little bit of talk in the community about it where some people were essentially like, you know what, most people who play Hearthstone are casual players, and these casual players are getting stomped by Odd Paladin, which is a deck that has not changed since January of this year, and that's bullshit, right? Um, We should, you know, we should... And, and, and then the other thing is that the holidays are coming up, right? So if they did not publish these nerfs on Monday... Or on Tuesday was which, which is when they come out. They probably don't get enacted until people come back from the holiday in January, right? Which is bad. And I would rather have yeah. And I would rather have you know three weeks of a fresh meta that is not watching the same decks that are a year old trounce everything that just like all of the new stuff that just came out. Um, I and uh, and it sucks that this happened to the esports you know tournament or whatever. Um, but, like, that's just kind of, like, the, the cost of doing business. And then the other side of, of, of that is obviously, you know, eSports are the highest tier of competitive stuff in the game, and they're screwing over all these people who have to set completely new lineups with no testing in the meta or anything kind of, like, along those uh, sorts of lines. Uh, I feel
0: it. like the easy answer to this is um, you, uh, you you play the tournament on the, the old patch, and I don't, like, you know, yeah. like... I don't, I don't, see, like, I feel like Blizzard should have, 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 the, is it an official Blizzard tournament, or is it, like, an unofficial tournament?
1: It is an unofficial tournament, it is oh. a, it's like a dream hack
0: kind of thing. I, I feel like at that point, like, I think it's kind of, like, shitty, but I think at that point Blizzard can just be like, fuck you, I don't care, um, which, yeah. is, which is, <laughs> which is, like, the negative side of the, you know, esports should be independent point that I brought up last week with the Heroes of the Storm type thing, where you're kind of yeah, at the whims of the developer's true. patching cycle, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think, I think you've, you've specifically talked about this before. I don't know if I fully agree with you on it, but, like, there is some aspect to esports is being able to roll with patch changes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely do think that that is a part of
1: the esports, right? Like, the, the, so uh, there actually was, like, a, a push in Hearthstone in this direction for a while, and there were a whole bunch of tournaments, and the tournaments were deck-building tournaments. Where um, you didn't walk into the tournament with like your lineup of decks already completed, you would walk into the tournament and um, and it was a little bit like arena or like Magic the Gathering drafts. Yeah. Um, but typically, like they would give you a full collection, and then they would say you need to um, you can't have any of this card in your deck, or you can't have any of that card in your deck, or you have to have at least you know you have to have at least five. Beasts or something kind of along those lines, and it challenges people to d- build decks on the spot and create a meta and like refine a meta on the spot. And I think that that was very cool in like and in, in League of Legends sort of thing, which is like the, the kind of context of my earlier position. Like, yeah, like I think adjusting to patch changes is a part of that esport right? um And I and I like that, and I think that that's like that's like good. But I don't think anybody could make an argument that adjusting to changes in a single day. Unannounced, kind of at the whims of the developer, is like a positive thing. Yeah. No matter what, no matter what way you spin that, I very much agree with you that like that is a as, a. as a casual player of Hearthstone, I'm very glad that they made these changes because I they have positively affected my ability to play the game. Um, but it is a uh, it is a it is a shitty thing to do from like that esports. Perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean the the real real answer is that they should have a anne- like they should have just announced this change a week ago. Um and yeah. then said that the change is happening you know on on Monday and that would have been fine, um uh, because you know at that point like that's like enough enough for you to be like look tournaments uh, you're gonna have to deal with our bullshit but at least you've got at least mm-hmm. some advance notice to deal with it, um uh, so you know I, I, I that, that's just kind of like I feel like a lot of disrespect you just kind of like shitty right like but you know yeah. what. What are you gonna do? I don't think it's I don't think it's the worst thing Blizzard has done this year. Um, so, you know, yeah, um, uh, it's funny it's funny to see how much
1: people are uh, happy for Hearthstone versus how disappointed I guess they are in uh, what? in World of Warcraft.
0: I think Bliz- this has been a bad year for Blizzard. Um,
1: I very much agree. Uh, I I don't think it is. I don't think it's deserved um to a certain extent in like like I have on this podcast talked before about how I think people are overly harsh about BFA in a way that I don't think is fair e- like even if there are fair criticisms buried in there but when it comes to Diablo Immortal yeah you know when it comes to Heroes of the Storm sure um even when it comes to things like um adding Destiny and Black Ops to like the battle net launcher, um, some of the microtransaction kind of stuff. Ah, you know, that's yeah. not great. So
0: so so speaking of, um, just kind of last thing that that I want to hit is uh, uh, do you have a strong opinion about the twenty five dollar mount? The uh like the $25 the, there's like a mount? fox mount that you can like a like a
1: Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I mean why? So I saw
0: it and I was like this like I saw somebody complaining about it, basically. Um, and I realized it was newsworthy. Like, I didn't think it was newsworthy because I had seen it in the laundry. It's like, right. you know, like, yeah, it's a $25 amount. And yeah, that's kind of like bullshit. But, you know, I'm not going to buy it. It's not like it's like a, uh, you know, it's, it's not like it's like a power thing. Um. Yeah. I, I, is is it making is that making any waves? Are there other $25 mounts? I. I,
1: uh, I think basically everyone who plays World of Warcraft at this point has made their peace with it. Um. There have been mounts in the in the cosmetic store for a long time. Um, they first started with the, like, the Celestial Steed, which people really freaked out about at the time. I do remember that. But I, I have always been of the opinion these mounts are fine. Uh, I own a couple of them, because I bought them with gold, right. essentially like that. Um, which I think is a good way to handle it, by the way. Like, the fact that I can take my in-game gold, turn it into Blizz Bucks, and buy a, buy a mount is neat. Um... So yeah,
0: so, so I've got a, I've got an interesting question then based on that right like um, yeah when when you, you could see that Blizzard like you could see like kind of sidestepping this question by making it be like some absurd cost in gold that like nearly practically necessitates that you um that that you that you kind of like sell uh, like that you go buy credits and like sell them into gold um, yeah. Or like the reverse, right? Like every kind of like of these prestige high high gold mounts are all cash shop items, um, and yeah. so like, if it, like I, I guess I'm just pointing out this kind of seems like this weird distinction between like, you know, essentially any mount is a cash shop mount if you buy if you sell uh, if you sell time on the auction house, um, mm-hmm. and like vice and you know any any uh, any cash shop mount is a prestige mount if you turn your your gold into 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 real money, um, yeah, uh, and that seems to be like a weird kind of separation there did do you, do you do you have any uh, any thoughts on that i guess uh
1: you know i i would have thoughts on it i think if they did one or the other but because they kind of do both like there is simultaneously the 5 million dollar brutosaur the 5 million gold brutosaur mount which is you know a current the, the current wow token is probably something like 150k so the current wow token is 122k right which means that you would need what nine tokens to get to a million. So you need forty-five tokens at twenty dollars a piece in order to get to. Uh, you need nine hundred dollars to get like the Brutosaur mount through uh, real-world money. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, the the cash shop mounts you need two tokens to get um, to get enough money to get one of the cash shop mounts. So you know those mounts are all effectively two hundred and fifty k. Right, so I don't know because they do both sides. Um, I feel like it's effectively fine, though they always, you know, the no, none of the cash shop mounts are one hundred and seventy-five dollars. You know what I mean? Um, and none of the uh, and none of the cash shop mounts are actually priced differently at all. They're all. 250k by kind of in-game standards or whatever Uh Uh, but there's a lot of variance inside of the game and I would much rather have the Brutosaur be a 5 million gold mount that is a reward for earning gold on the in-game economy uh, than a $900 cash shop mount that is a reward for I guess keeping a good steady job and getting real world money.
0: Yeah I mean mm. That's, that's interesting cuz I, I feel like that's like almost like a like a like a, a diversionary tactic, right? Cuz like because they are effectively both, right? Like like every yeah. every mount is effectively both. It seems if, if it almost feels like the reason that the brutosaur is like an in-cash uh an in-game cash or a, a gold mount is to kind of obscure the fact that it's like a ludicrous amount of like real world money.
1: Well, so so I mean, I, I think the Brutosaur is solving a problem of gold inflation. Sure. Right. Uh, in in games like this, you always have to introduce fair, fair. big gold sinks. Um, and so a Brutosaur mount is just to say, hey, here's a really cool reward for playing the auction house really strong. Because otherwise, you know what, you're you're just like inflating all the, all these prices, and it throws the economy out of whack, and that's really bad.
0: Yeah. No, but. <laughs> I feel like if somebody came, if, if somebody like came and said this is a nine hundred dollar mount, um, and that's what this is, and you know the, the they're just putting it in game to obfuscate it, I feel like that person would have a point. I don't, you know, like I think you're right. I think you could probably convince me that it's what it actually is. It's a gold sink, and the fact that it, it kind of interacts this way with the real money, uh, the, the real money transaction uh, aspect mm-hmm. of it is a uh, it's kind of like uh. uh a a unfortunate coincidence, but like,
1: like a side effect. Yeah.
0: But, um, like, I think that's kind of like a problem that like you have to grapple with. And like, obviously no one's talking about it right now. Uh, so maybe it's not a problem right now, but I feel like, I feel like that's like a time bomb. Um,
1: really? I, I just, I don't know. To me, it seems like if it was too hard in the opposite direction, I would be pissed about it in a way
0: um what do you mean
1: i i don't you know i don't know things in in game especially big vanity items like mounts <sighs> yeah they're that like no but, but if, if it
0: was a 900 mount, you'd, you'd probably be you'd probably not be happy with it right uh yeah but i'm but like i think there is a meaningful obf- like
1: that obfuscation is not in a like these those two things are not equivalent to me right like I'm, i think that's my entire point
0: right like they are equivalent they are literally equivalent it's just like a psychological trick to get you to think that it isn't um and like i like i said i think i agree with you i think that that's not the intention that blizzard puts out there but like you know it has a real world cash value that you can do through the blizzard interface um no no i mean sure like i i under-
1: so okay i understand that the two are equivalent but i don't think those two economies are equivalent and i think you do have to have Gold sinks in order to maintain in-game economies and have them be fair. Essentially, do you know what I mean?
0: No, I like. I again, I, I, am not disagreeing with the with the with the kind of like, uh, the 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 gold like the the economy concerns from that perspective. I just think when you like you inherently hit these problems when you when you mix in RMT. Um, I don't know. Like like if it was unofficial RMT, like. Then I think you've got either like like that that it's that it's you know you can say that like it was never supposed to be this way, but I, I don't know I'm uh, mm-hmm. I don't know it doesn't sit yeah. well with me. I mean,
1: part of this is that this stuff has all been backfilled, right? Yeah. Like we've had in-game shop mounts for sure, a long sure. time, but the ability to trade in for Blizz Bucks only happened two years ago. Yeah. Um. And the and so there's like a certain I don't know like there's a there's just like a because those walls came down, which I think is a good thing, right, because it means kind of everything is purchasable, including Hearthstone packs and Destiny 2. Um, it also sort of, like, opens up a certain um, – I don't know. Maybe like, – like, to a certain extent, I actually kind of think that keeping the WoW token – at a good price is maybe even a piece of this right Where like you have real things in game so that if you are let you know if you are a multi-millionaire and 900 dollars to you is a lot easier than farming 5 million gold in game right and you buy a whole bunch of wow tokens that drives down the price of wow tokens for people who are who support their playtime purely through in-game gold do you know what i mean and so it also kind of has like a beneficial equalizing effect from that other side of things i don't know uh, you know i i think to a certain i i guess i would say that on its face yeah if they introduced a 900 hundred dollar mount i would be pissed about it but maybe after thinking about it i would be like that's fine you know what i mean which is
0: a weird thing to think about but that's essentially what i'm arguing yeah and, and I, I think i disagree with you but i do think we're way over time so Maybe, yeah, we'll no, re- we'll, maybe we'll revisit this at some other point um, uh, it, You know, w- w- with that I would say uh, if you'd like to email us what you think about Aquaman or uh, $900 mounts or anything else we talked about on this podcast feel free to email us, email us at somederpsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at somederpsplaygames.com you can follow us at twitch.tv slash somederpsplaygames you can uh, rate and review us on iTunes uh, we would appreciate it very much uh, leave us comments anywhere we love them you can follow us on YouTube um, I think I forgot to upload last week's video again, so my apologies for that. Um, that won't go up till after Christmas. <laughs> Neither will this one. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll get back on that. Uh, but I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote?
1: I have nothing else I am looking to
0: promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.